Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Today, uh, wonder if, have you ever been in a spot where something happened that put you over the edge? Most of us have been there before, uh, feeling like, oh man, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I'm at my, my tipping point. I was watching a Twins game the other day. Uh, Minnesota Twins are my favorite baseball team. And love watch. I watch them on TV. I've even got one of my daughters now starting to want to watch the games with me. I think it's only because she likes to cuddle. <laughs> I don't know. She really likes baseball. Um, but we're, I'm sitting there watching this game, and they're playing the, the team I hate more than any team in pro sports, the New York Yankees. Sorry, Taylor. Um, but can't stand the Yankees because they beat the Twins literally, like, all the time. And don't yeah that. Okay, <laughs> come on now. She's sitting up here amening already on that. Come on. So we're playing the Twins, and we're, we're, it's just, it's not going well. And the umpires, they're making some calls against the Twins, uh, especially in the strike zone. It's just not good. And I'm listening to the, the announcer, and he's like, I think our manager's going to get out here and probably have a conversation with the umpire pretty soon here. This is not good. And sure enough, one of our guys is up to bat, and he checks swings. There's a guy on first base. He checks swings. The catcher drops the ball. It goes away from him. And our guy from first goes down to second. And, okay, that's a good thing. Get down to second base. And right then, the umpire calls him back to first and says that it was a foul ball. And I'm telling you, they showed the replays. And the guy, as he checks swings, he's four inches away from even hitting the baseball. And so now, literally, it was like a minute before the announcer's like, oh, manager's going to come out. I just know it. The manager comes out. He had, he had reached his tipping point. He comes out, and he's, you know, they always start off like they're going to have a nice conversation with the umpire, and then it quickly accelerates because the umpire doesn't do anything that they want him to do. And so before he starts, and he starts like walking circles around the umpire. I don't even know what he was doing, but he was just, he was livid. He got to his tipping point. Somewhere in that game, the manager figured out where his tipping point was, or or the, the umpire maybe figured it out for him. And I've been in those spots before. A lot of times my, my tipping point, it comes around the house being clean. Uh, the girls were gone in Chicago this weekend, and it was fantastic. Not because I didn't like them being at home, but because I had a clean home for like 24 hours. They left. The first thing I did was vacuum the floors. Because I'm like, if I'm going to be here alone, I'm going to enjoy some awesome cleanness. I'm a loser. I know it, okay? They came back. And not even four minutes later, there's Barbies all over the floor in the living room. It drives me nuts. They, they have a way of getting to my tipping point, especially Thursdays, uh, my day off, I'm at home with them, and they're homeschooled, and it's like every single time it gets to about 1 or 2 p.m., and I'm like, what is wrong with you people? It's all messy in here. And I just, I, go, I, I, I flip a lid. It happens. Um, we kind of all have a. There's one person in the world that barely has a tipping point, and her name is Crystal Anderson. But I, I have to say, I kind of, I kind of, I'm a little devious on this. I love it when my wife kind of gets to her tipping point because it shows me that she's human, like me. Problem is, I'm usually the one that's the cause of the tipping point, and that part I don't like as much. Um, but this story today, you're gonna see, you're gonna see a dude get to his breaking point. 
One of Jesus' supposedly best friends, one of his disciples, a guy by the name of Judas, who we will figure out is a traitor, gets to his breaking point. There is a, there's a woman in this story who she decides to, to give something to Jesus that is extravagant in its price. And Judas had an issue with money. He loved money. And so he got to his breaking point in this story. We're going to read this story of this woman pouring out this extravagant gift to Jesus. And I want you to think about in this story, who do you most identify with? Do you identify with the person who is willing to to give whatever it it takes to give to Jesus? Doesn't matter what the cost is. Or are you that person? Or maybe we're all kind of in the middle somewhere. Like we're, we're, we're fairly sold out for Jesus. But maybe I'm not completely sold out for Jesus. Who are you in this story? So we're looking here at Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. It's one of my favorite verses in this passage. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospels preach throughout the world, what she has done will be told, will also be told, in the memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. All right, so let's, let's st- set the stage a little bit here. What's going on in this passage? The passage, it says that it was, this was two days before the Passover. And the way that, that the, the Jewish way of verbalizing this would have been was, is saying this is two days before, so this actually could have been um, like this day is one day and the next day is the second day. So Passover might be tomorrow in terms of how close Passover is in this, in this story. And what's happening here now at the time of Passover is people are coming into the city of Jerusalem. They're coming in as pilgrims. They're making the pilgrimage there for this holy holiday. Anywhere from about 85,000 to 300,000 extra people coming into the city, maybe tripling the size almost of the city for, for this holiday. A little city where there's no modern day sewage and all that kind of stuff going on. The city is getting gross. Like, this is not a place I want to, I don't know about you, I hate going to state fairs. Everything about, about Jerusalem at a time of pilgrimage tell, tells me that it's like a state fair. It's like the last place I want to be. It's only outhouses and it's just disgusting and there's animals and you hold them and they poop on you. Like, there's nobody wants to be around all that. And that's what Jerusalem is like right now. And this is a particularly unusual time for the chief priests because you've got all these people coming in and actually what would happen is there would be skirmishes throughout the city 
it's, it's so tight, it's so compacted, people are uncomfortable. And of all the times in the city throughout the year, this is the time where there's skirmishes. And so you saw, they said, they don't want to, they wanted Jesus to die, but then they're like, ah, oh, we can't do it right now because there's going to be so many people in the city that are going to be against it that there's going to be an uprising if we kill Jesus. So they tried to do it at night. They got, they got Judas to, to betray Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at night, hoping that it would stay quiet. But see, they thought they had control on things. The chief priests thought that they could control everything, but they couldn't. God had control over what was going to happen during this week. And so before he's arrested, we find him here sitting in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Now, we aren't given any context into this man's life whatsoever. We don't know why he knows Jesus or why Jesus knows him. We just know him by his name, Simon the leper. Now, I brought up the idea that Judas got to his breaking point in this story. And getting to your breaking point, it usually doesn't just happen all of a sudden where you just blow up right at, at, at one moment. Something just hit, hit you. See, he has watched Jesus do things for about three years now, and little by little, it's, things have always gotten under his skin, I think. He was a guy that loved money, and it talks about in John 12, 12, 6, we read how Judas was kept in charge of the money, and not only was he kept in charge of the money for the disciples and for Jesus, but then he's following this Jesus character who is going around and he's healing people, and he's, he's not using his fame for, for more money, and I'm, I'm sure that there were things that Jesus did that it just drove Judas nuts. And then there's this interesting little, little point of, I, I never really realized this until this week. All the other disciples would call Jesus Lord. Like they, they ascribed something to Jesus that was so great. You know, Judas never one time called Jesus Lord. He called him Rabbi. He continually called him teacher. Now, we all know, like, just because we think of somebody as a teacher or rabbi, you probably didn't respect all your teachers, right? And so I think there's a little bit, doesn't mean just because he's calling him rabbi, does he respect him a ton? I don't think that Judas ever fully gave himself over to Jesus. And so what happens here is they've walked into this house of a guy named Simon the leper. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretty much just throw out a guarantee I guarantee that Judas was not very comfortable with sitting in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. Why is that? Because a leper in the Jewish world, they were unclean. Judas would have wanted nothing to do. And here's the thing. I got to be fair. I don't think it was probably just Judas that was against being in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. We don't know if Simon had leprosy. We don't know if we don't know if he ever had leprosy. Maybe it was just a bad nickname he got in grade school because he had acne and the kids were like, hey, you look like, I don't know. But we know he was called Simon the leper. And I guarantee not only Judas, but probably most of his disciples, they were probably walking into this house and nudging Jesus and being like, yo, Jesus, like, you know what his name is, right? Like, there's probably a reason that he's Judas wasn't excited, but Jesus didn't let it bother him what this guy's name was. The woman that we see in this story didn't let it bother her what, what this guy's name was of the house that they were in. And so I think it brings up a, a really important question that we should consider this morning. Am I comfortable eating at the home of Simon the leper? 
Or do my circle of friends only include non-lepers or people who make me comfortable? The woman in the story, man, she was a broken woman who poured out her life in service to Jesus. Jesus poured himself out to us, for us. And to live that way, it requires something different. It requires uh, seeing ourselves in a, in a humble light. And probably, probably one of the most difficult things that we can do is, is find a way to humble ourselves and see ourselves this way. The question is, do you judge people in a way that being around them gets you a little closer towards going over the edge? So I think that's part of the problem with Judas here. It was his judgment of this woman. It was his judgment of Simon the leper that all of these judgments that he had on these people, it was getting him to the place of getting over the edge. When you're at work and you're starting to get frustrated with the people around you, a lot of times it's our judgments that get us closer to over the edge. That's me at home when my kids are making a mess. I judge them as little humans who should be able to do this better than they're doing. And so it gets me over the edge. And I'm telling you, God has enough grace to give you the grace that you need for the people who are just difficult in your lives. God can give you the grace to find love for that person. God can give you the grace to stop seeing other people as less than. But we have to ask him for help. We have to ask him for the help to help us see other people the way that he sees them. And, and to do that, we have to actually acknowledge that we are looking at people through the eyes of Judas rather than through the eyes of Jesus. And I'm telling you, I want to look at people through the eyes of Jesus way more than through the eyes of Judas. But if you're like me, Judas comes in at times. You see, the gospel is good news for all people. Every single person. And so pouring yourself out for the gospel, like this woman did with Jesus, it means getting comfortable with the idea that everyone deserves a place at the table with Jesus. That's tough for us sometimes. It means finding comfort in the presence of even those that you don't think really deserve to be in the presence of Jesus or to be in your presence. See, Judas didn't get that. Judas didn't follow the example that Jesus had been setting for the last three years in front of him. Judas didn't see people the way that Jesus saw them. And so he was inching closer and closer to going over the edge. See, loving all people will keep you from walking dangerously close. The way to love people. To love people the way that Jesus does. The patience that we're going to exhibit. The, the, inabil- the ability to not go over the edge, it's going to be there. But see, when we only love people, some people, it is going to cause our faith to eventually explode. We will be exposed just like Judas was exposed. When I only love some people, my love is going to be exposed for what it is. Judas was exposed in this story. Now, while Judas was was already probably fuming because he was at the leper's house, um, along comes this woman, the Bible says, she comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now what this woman was doing was extremely expensive. Like crazy expensive. 
And the people in the room, they didn't like this. Uh, and so they said, this, now these aren't the words of Judas, but I guarantee Judas was thinking these same thoughts. Here's what they said to her. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Now, the Greek manuscripts of this passage, it, it actually doesn't talk, say exactly that it was sold for more than, could have been sold for more than a year's wages. It actually says that it was worth 300 denarii. And what that is, is essentially it's about a year's wages for a day laborer. So we're talking anywhere from maybe thirty dollars to $50,000 worth that this thing of perfume was, which is crazy to me. Uh, in another part in Mark, it actually talks about how 200 denarii could feed 5,000 people for a lunch. So if you figure, you know, 8 to 10 bucks per lunch, you're talking like a forty dollars to $50,000 right there for 200 denarii. This perfume used a ridiculously expensive perfume on Jesus to anoint him before he was going to be buried. Like, it, Jesus was cool with it, so I'm cool with it. But I can't understand how any bottle of perfume could possibly cost, in today's money, $50,000. Like, is she pouring liquid gold on Jesus right now? Because this is a lot. Um, it makes me think of sometimes uh, I'll, see, I'll see posts on, on Twitter or whatever uh, of NBA guys walking into the arena before a basketball game. And I don't know why, but pre-basketball game, guys walking in, it's become like a, 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 a fashion show. And so these things on internet, they'll be like, yeah, this guy's coming in with a $2,000 shirt on. I'm like, who has a $2,000 shirt? I know these guys make millions of money, but is it like lined with gold? I don't even get it. It's cotton. How can things be? So I get what these guys are saying. Why this waste? Like, there's even a part in my brain that's going, why, why this waste? Even Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, I, I get that maybe you're thinking that this, you've got the poor out there and this money. This woman did something good for me. Jesus kind of understood where they were thinking. Now, have you ever watched somebody do something that was good and you found inside of you there was some indignation rising up for what that person was doing? Maybe, that, maybe somebody gave an extravagant, extraordinary amount of money to something, and you were watching it from the outside, and you're like, oh, why would they do that? Maybe it's a little bit of jealousy. Maybe it's a little bit of, of like feeling guilty, like, oh, maybe I should do more, but I don't want to give all that extravagantly. I don't know about you, but I've seen, I've seen situations like this in my own heart. Maybe it makes you feel like, like, like you're not doing everything that you should, and what happens is to... To, to keep from feeling less than yourself, you start to cover up those feelings with struggling in this room. They were struggling with the feeling of, hey, this woman's not that great. This woman's, this woman's no better than me. I'm better than this woman, so how can I make her gift not seem all that great? They were struggling with that idea. So here's a question, again, that we, I think we should consider. Have I demonstrated indignation at the love and devotion that others have done as being not really so good? I know it's something I've struggled with before. I see that Judas struggled with it and the people in that room struggle with it. It's probably a little bit of a human nature thing. But any gift that is given in the name of Jesus that can, that can show people who Jesus is and bring glory to Jesus, it should be something that, that we look forward to. It should be something that we celebrate. But I wonder how many times we greet things like this with skepticism and even judgment. 
Anybody, anybody listen to pre, any preachers on podcast at all? A little raise of hand. I, I've got like one or two that I like to listen to. But I'll be honest with you. I've listened to preachers before. And I've found myself breaking down everything that they say. And it's not even, there might be a lot of good things that they say. But maybe there's one thing that they say that I don't like. Or one way that they say it. Not even what they said. And I start to get this judgment in my heart towards them. Or I even start to think, eh, they're probably not as, eh, don't have as much integrity as what they, they sound like they have on a stage. Um, if you've been a Christian very long, that kind of cynicism and skepticism, it's probably creeped in at some point. Uh, maybe, maybe you look at, uh, at a, a charity that does a lot of really good work. And maybe you've thought, oh, I bet you all the money that, that goes in there probably doesn't go for everything that it should. And we get this skepticism that comes in. Maybe, maybe a more real world one is for you, somebody at work, uh, they got recognized for all the work that they were doing. And, and they were doing really good work. But inside, you were like, they ain't doing anything better than me. Like, I've been, I've been doing stuff longer than that person that should have been recognized a lot longer ago. And see, we have this tendency in us to take the good that somebody else does and bring it down and to take what we do and make it seem a lot better than what it actually is. A little bit of human nature. We downplay the good things others do and assume something negative behind all of it. And it is, is this is another way of the spirit of Judas coming through in our hearts. And it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous to the spreading of the gospel. When we have this spirit of Judas in us, how is the gospel going to get out? And the thing is, we need everybody putting in max effort to getting the word of Jesus out. We should put it out there and be like, this is awesome. If there's something that I can be doing for Jesus, I should be doing everything that I can to do that. Here's what I love what what it says in verses 7 and 8. It's, Jesus said, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. See, in the preceding verses here, these guys, they're whining to Jesus about this woman. And he's sitting here going, You're always going to have the poor. You're not doing anything for them right now. She did what she could. I love what he says there. Man, I hope like crazy that one day... When I see Jesus, I hope those are some of the words that he says to me. You did what you could. That's a really cool thing. This woman, this woman didn't do what Peter did. She didn't go out into the world and, and preach to 3,000 people and they got saved. She didn't do what John the Baptist did, who, who went out and, and kind of paved the way for the coming of Jesus and his ministry. She didn't do what Mary did and, and give birth to Jesus. She did what she could. She had a really... I don't know why she had an expensive bottle of perfume that could be used on Jesus. But there's a Holy Spirit thing going on here that this is preparing him for what was to come, his death and his burial. She did what she could. And the Bible talks about how she's always going to be talked about when the gospel's preached. So ask yourself this. Are you doing what you can do for Jesus and for the gospel? It's a really simple question. But it's also probably got one of the hardest answers. Okay, what does it mean for me to do everything that I can for the gospel? Am I supposed to have one specific job? Like, God, what, what do you want from me? What is my role? And the truth is, we can't find our role without asking him. We've got to go to God and we've got to ask him. But we could spend our time like these guys in this room complaining about what other people are doing or what other people are not doing 
But what good does that do? What can you do? What can I do for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel? I wonder how easy it was for this woman to take that bottle of perfume and to break it and to pour it over Jesus. Probably wasn't difficult. Like, she just wanted to do this. Man, when I go to the store and the clerk at the store asks me if I want to round up for this charity, it's hard for me to say yes sometimes. Breaking open a bottle of perfume that costs maybe 50,000 bucks? Like, that's mind-blowing. Can't imagine that this was the easiest thing in the world for her to do. But she did it. Is anything too extravagant for us if it's about Jesus? Is there anything too extravagant? If it's something that can be done for the gospel, could it ever be too big? This woman, she, she gave whatever she possibly could. And Jesus recognized her for that. It wasn't for her sake, it was to bless Jesus. It wasn't so that people around her would think she was awesome. I guarantee she probably, as she was breaking this, as she was breaking this perfume open, I'm assuming she knew what was going on in the room around her. She knew that these guys weren't going to think that this was an awesome thing that she was doing. But you know, oftentimes as Christians, we do things to try to, it might look like it's for God and it might look like it's this great thing, but in truth, even those good things we do, sometimes we do it with a selfish Judas kind of heart. You got Ananias and Sapphira in, in the Gospels here, in, in the book of Acts, actually, where it talks about they sold a piece of property and then they took the money and they said that they gave all of it to Jesus, but they kept some of it for themselves. They wanted to be seen as something that they weren't. In the temple, this one's really interesting to me. You know the religious leaders, when, um, when you would go and give money in the temple, they actually had this, this horn that you would put the money into. See, the, the religious leaders, they didn't just want people to see that they were giving money, they wanted people to hear that they were giving money. And this horn that they would put their money into, as you drop the coins, it would magnify the sound of coins being given money. But I want you to hear that I'm doing things for Jesus. I want you to hear that I'm doing things for God. Am I giving all that I can for Jesus, pouring myself out for the sake of Jesus, laying myself down that it's not about me at all, but it's about Jesus? And maybe this is the problem that we have with Jesus. Maybe we're sitting in here like, you know what, I, I just feel like being sold out for Jesus, it's too much. The ask is too big. I can't, I can't go that far. It makes me uncomfortable. Something about this woman breaking open this expensive jar and pouring it on Jesus, and Jesus accepting that gift, this is exactly what caused Judas to say, that's it. This is the thing that put him over the edge. Seeing somebody that was completely sold out to Jesus, he was like, I'm done. I've seen enough, Jesus. You have bugged me for a long enough time. You are, you, we could have gotten super rich off of all the ways that you heal people. I'm done with you, Jesus. And maybe this story sometimes, in some ways, maybe it, it, it feel, gets you feeling like you're almost at your tipping point. Like, I just, I, Lord, what do you expect out of me? Maybe the idea of living sold out for him, it really does sound like it's too much. So what I want to do is I want to read the follow-up to this story. Where this story goes from here. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to pick it up at the end of the week. 
uh, it's Passover now, and Jesus is about to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. I want you to hear what happens. Starting in verse 17, it says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It'd be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they, they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. See, these two stories here, it, the story of this woman pouring out the perfume and the story of Jesus having this last supper, it might not seem like they're super connected, but they are super connected. Both Jesus and this woman, they were giving of themselves. The woman gave her gift in extravagance. Jesus gave his life in extravagance. She gave what only she could, which was an expensive bottle of perfume. Jesus gave what only he could, which was a perfect life as a ransom for your life and my life. She gave to proclaim the gospel. Jesus gave to proclaim the gospel. These stories are so linked together in that they're willing to pour themselves out. It's easy for us to say, Lord, I don't know how I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to pour myself out for you. I don't, know, I don't know what the extravagant thing that you have for my life is. But I want to say this. He is not asking anything from us that he hasn't done himself. In fact, Jesus gave more extravagantly than you or I could ever even possibly imagine to give of ourselves. He lived a perfect life. You think about that. He gave up every temptation that was ever known to man, every temptation that came his way, and he gave it up so that he could be perfect, so that when the day came where he was going to die, he could die for you and me. Not only that, but he died in extravagant fashion. He didn't just die an awful death on a cross, being whipped and having, having those nails pierced into his hands and his feet. It was even more extravagant than that. He took on the sins of you and me so that we could become free. Now, Jesus is not expecting you to live a perfectly extravagant life, a perfectly perfect life. He's not expecting you to never mess up. In fact, what Jesus did on the cross, because of was come back to Jesus after he had sold him over to the, to, to the religious leaders. If he had come back to Jesus and said, I'm sorry, Jesus, I messed up. I guarantee Jesus would have saved him. <laughs> because it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus does for us. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to make us into a more perfect vessel for him. He wants to help you. He wants to pour into your life. Here's a question. In what way do you think that Jesus might be calling you to give your life to him a little bit more? What is Jesus calling you to this morning? What bottle of perfume is he asking you to just break open and pour out for him? It might be extravagant. It might be hard. It might be something that you've felt for a long time like God is calling you to, but it's like, I just, I'm not there, Lord. Ask for strength because he can get us to that point. I love what he says about this woman. She did all that she could. She did what she could do. 
Today, what is the thing that you can do for Jesus? What is the thing that maybe only you can do for Jesus? Maybe there's nobody else out there that can do that one thing. Maybe there's nobody else out there that knows and has a relationship with that one person who can actually show them who Jesus is. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.